Episode 38, Patrick and Cyprian speak with Maria Mikhailova, Principal Software Engineer at Microsoft. The team discuss Q-sharp, perceived barriers, how to get started in quantum computing, and what kinds of problems could be solved with quantum computing in the future. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Hey, Cyprian, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Patrick. I'm looking forward for another great episode of Entangled Things. I don't think we're going to be disappointed today. So we're joined by Maria. Uh, could you introduce yourself to our audience, please? Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Maria Mikhailova. I'm a principal software engineer here at Microsoft Quantum, working on education and outreach, uh, bringing people the light of Quantum Development Kit and Azure Quantum, and of course, more generally, quantum computing. Excellent. So it sounds like we're all on the same page. That's exactly the reason we have this podcast is to spread the word on what you can do. And Microsoft's been really trailblazing in this regard um, with Q Sharp, which I believe you've written a book about and uh, all the platform support. Can you tell us about what you could do? I know you've done some hackathons of late. What are people doing with the platform? What are they what are they doing that aren't the big companies? So what can you do with Azure Quantum and Microsoft Quantum Development Kit? Or at least what are people like learning and practicing when they're when they're in the hackathons, I guess is the question. Mm-hmm. So in hackathons, usually we have uh, students or professionals who are just enthusiastic about quantum computing who just do some kind of experimentation, really any kind. I've seen projects from the just basic uh, things about quantum computing, even something like random number generation, okay. to pretty sophisticated things like trying to model the errors uh, introduced by a specific quantum device. Oh, so cool! It's a really broad range of projects. Now, I think Microsoft's the only ones with a platform that actually bridges between quantum annealing by D-Wave and other uh, modalities like ion more universal quantum computing is are you seeing um you know real world applications of both right now or is it is one ahead of the other as far as how the language is being leveraged or or do you guys even know how that's being done uh, I don't think Azure Quantum works with quantum annealing as such. There are two main directions uh, of uh, Azure Quantum uh, targets. One is Gate-based quantum computing, that's the one uh, in which we offer access to our partners' hardware, such as IonQ and Quantinum, and our upcoming partners, uh, Pasquale, QCI, and Rigetti. And the other direction is called quantum-inspired optimization. Oh, I misunderstood then. I thought mm-hmm. that that was um, annealing. That was my, that's my bad. Uh-huh, not, not quite. Uh, Quantum-inspired optimization right now runs on classical compute completely. So basically, it's classical algorithms that uh, are inspired by some physical effects. So it's kind of quantum effects inform us about how to make classical algorithms more efficient. Oh, that makes sense. I, I saw a presentation back at a at one of the builds, the in-person builds back a long time ago, um, 
where a company called One Qubit did a presentation and they talked about the fact that taking a problem and recasting it as a quantum problem, even on, cla- on, on uh, classical hardware, was yielding for them an 8% increase in speed. And so that must be what you're talking about then. Yes, exactly. So um, you, you mentioned that you were doing a lot of work in the, let's say, um, education and information dissemination uh, uh, areas. And uh, I will uh, really want to kind of dive into the, the different aspects of, of Azure Quantum, whether they are on quantum computing or optimization. But I would like to kind of switch gears a little bit and start with a more like like general uh, question to you. What, what is your perception when it comes to uh, teaching or, or providing, uh, let's say, uh, learning resources and, and uh, uh, demos and, and all sorts of, of, of artifacts to people related to uh, uh, quantum computing. Do you, for instance, feel it's something that is significantly more difficult than with any of the branches of classical computing? Do you see um, people kind of getting along, let's say, quite easily um, um, in in the quantum computing paradigms as well, and also as a short follow up question, um, what is kind of the the, the type, the, the typical personas that you see as being the let's say consumers of um, uh, this? I would dare to say impressive lineup of of materials that that uh, you folks at Microsoft are are providing in this space. Okay, let's see. Let me start with the first question. And then if I forget about the second one, you'll have to remind me. No worries. <laughs> so, uh, for um, learning quantum computing, one thing I see very broadly is that uh, people expect that knowing quantum physics is a prerequisite for learning quantum computing. And that kind of scares them away. I can understand it perfectly well. I'm a classically trained software engineer myself. And so I got uh, quite some physics in my curriculum. Uh, it, it didn't lead me to quantum computing directly. I worked very hard to forget everything I learned in physics before getting this job. Uh, so... I understand how having to learn physics to do computing can be perceived as scary. But it's not actually the case. You can uh, work with quantum computing perfectly well and understand algorithms without ever thinking about the physics uh, of the devices on which those algorithms would eventually run, which turned out to be very beneficial for me personally. So it's kind of like you don't have to be an electrical engineer to program in, in Visual Basic. Yes, precisely. We never think about how classical computers work. Well, most of us. They just work. And it's pretty much the same with quantum computing. Uh, The terms in which I think about it is just mass, linear algebra and matrix multiplication. There is hardly anything more complicated than this to learn the basics and to learn actually interesting algorithms to figure out where the power of quantum computing is coming from. There are some more complicated mathematical tools later on, but you can get pretty far away with just basic linear algebra. 
And the second question, it was, I believe, about the audiences I see learning quantum yes, computing. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. See, I can actually remember the questions at once. You have a memory buffer. <laughs> uh, so I see a lot of students uh, excited about quantum computing and interested in it. And I see uh, quite a number of uh, classically trained software engineers or folks in other usually technical disciplines uh, who uh, don't work on quantum computing directly but still get curious about it in their spare time. I think the balance is skewed towards students probably because they just have a lot more spare time. I know that once you are uh, older than a certain threshold, you have a family, you have a job, it's a lot harder to get uh, some time every week to learn a new topic. For students, they just have time. Yeah, that's always the the treadmill of, of learning you know, in, the, in all the technology spaces. Uh, Quantum is very interesting because it's one of those, it's going to be a big deal. It is a big deal like machine learning and and big data but it's a slow moving train and it's good because it it does take a while to wrap your head around the concepts even if you don't try to become a physics master you still have to understand the differences of parallelism and superposition and and probability versus determinism there's a whole bunch of paradigm shifts which um i think the q sharp language does its best to to help mitigate what training if someone's getting started i know the katas are a great place to start uh, where would you want people to go first so that they don't get discouraged? Are the katas the best place to start? Yes, I would actually recommend starting with the quantum katas directly. Uh, I made sure that we have introductory tutorials that start from the very basics. Like they even introduce linear algebra, algebra and complex numbers for people who either didn't have that course yet or never had and never planning to take this course. Uh, so that uh, you can start there without having to read a book on math first. And then they, uh, these introductory tutorials cover all the basic concepts like qubit states, uh, quantum gates, measurements. So you can get started with just them. And of course you can not just read about these things, but also practice to solve small problems using them. I'm a big believer in learning by doing, by solving problems and implementing them. Mm -hmm. And of course, and being a software engineer, <clears throat> I believe in solving problems and programming the solutions. Right. And so, you know, typically you, you mentioned this when we asked the question about the hackathon, people are, are kind of at a loss in the beginning of what to do with this. And so the common things are things like you said, uh, generating random, truly random numbers, which is a, a huge benefit. Um, performing Shor's algorithm on ever increasing numbers. I think, you know, we're in the twenties now as far as how big of a number we can factor with Shor's algorithm. Uh, and then there's, uh, Grover's algorithm, which is, which is Cyprian's favorite, but there's, there's also, you know, there's, uh, there's Deutsch's algorithm, Joe's Deutsche, there's others, but one of the things that we've talked about often in this podcast and that I'm still struggling with is getting people to the point, programmers like us, because both Cyprian and I are professional programmers as well um, in our careers, 
getting programmers to the point where they can create the next Shores algorithm, where they can create the algorithm that opens the next frontier, because that seems to be the roadblock right now. We have a few very well-known, it sounds like if you created a useful algorithm, your name would be, you'd be a superstar overnight. And, and I think we need to kind of figure out how we get people thinking in the right direction. And maybe we're just, there's just not a lot of problems that we know of in the, in the open market. But is there any thought being given to that? How do we get the, the developers you build in the quantum Q sharp world to then become the kind of people who can build, um, algorithms that we haven't thought of yet that might open up other doors? That's a very good question, and it's an open problem. So right now, I don't know how to bring people to coming up with completely new algorithms from scratch that didn't exist before by means of quantum programming. But I think there is a big space for folks who don't come up with new algorithms themselves Mm. implementing the algorithms that already exist. Because when you look at uh, research papers published by proper algorithms researchers, they talk about algorithms in general. But bringing the algorithm from this kind of general uh, description, mathematical description, to something practical, to something that can actually run, and then figuring out uh, the complexity of this algorithm, the kind of experimental complexity, and then optimizing it, these things can be done using programming tools. Mm. These things don't require you to come up with a completely new algorithm, rather, but true. rather just understanding the write-up of an existing algorithm. And there is a lot of work to be done here. Even right now, when the quantum computers, the devices themselves, are not mature enough to run interesting algorithms, we can do work implementing large-scale algorithms and evaluating them using tools such as Resource Estimator, that's part of the quantum development kit, basically figuring out how many qubits this algorithm requires to run for a certain instance of the problem and how long it's going to take, how deep is the circuit. Mm-hmm. And we can work with the same programming tools to reduce these numbers to optimize the algorithm and basically to bring closer the moment when we can actually run this algorithm on a quantum device. And in the other direction, we can use these technologies to evaluate how soon we will be able to do this and what are the decisions we need to make when building quantum devices. Uh, Because basically, if you believe that you can get advantage uh, with a hundred qubits versus if you believe you need at least a million qubits to get advantage. You're going to make different engineering decisions when building your quantum system. And all this kind of work, implementing algorithms and working with them as software, doesn't require coming up with new algorithms. Hmm. I hadn't thought of so it that way. I I really like you mentioned the fact, uh, you mentioned the, 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 the resource estimators, right? Because one of the things that I really like about how um, how Azure Quantum is is structured in terms of the stack and is the offering uh, is the fact that we will like have the 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 estimate part, which uh, is is the one related to the resource estimators. Like like what are the resources that we would need to run a specific process or set of circuits or whatever, 
And then we've got the simulate part, right, which is essentially allowing us to use simulator. And then we have the run, which kind of plugs into the different hardware providers. So could you elaborate a little bit on kind of um, uh, these these kind of three layers that, that we have there and, and how people can kind of use them uh, in, in their uh, either initial experimentation or let's say the more elaborate uh, kind of tasks that they would attempt to, to, to tackle. Yes, of course. These uh, tools are actually steps of a single uh, quantum software development process. I like to think about it this way. So when you develop a quantum program, the first thing you need to do you're going to do on paper or whiteboard. You're going to figure out what your problem is, what algorithm you're going to use for it, and basically uh, what are you going to implement. After this, you start using the software tools. You start by implementing the quantum component of the program using Q-Sharp, or uh, we recently added support for Qiskit and Cirque. Uh, to run jobs on Azure Quantum using these languages. So you implement quantum portion of the program. Then you implement the classical one, the host program that's going to do things like pre-processing of information to generate parameters for the quantum portion and to do post-processing of the results to convert them into human-readable format. Next, now that your software is written, you need to make sure that it's correct. This is when you're going to use simulators. You're going to run your program on small instances of the problem you want to solve to basically check that it's correct. This is also the step in which you write unit tests because we are all software engineers. We know that you have to write unit tests when you uh, implement a problem more complicated than Deutsch-Jaws algorithm. And frankly, even then. Uh, the next step you have convinced yourself that your algorithm is correct using the simulators. So the next step is to do resource estimation to figure out the complexity of the algorithm. And then once you have a device that is powerful enough to run your algorithm uh, based on the results of your resource estimation, then you do this last step and you go to Azure Quantum and submit your job and get results back. I, yeah, I, I think this is this is great, and uh, I, I I think Patrick, it's the first time we we are kind of describing on this podcast like an an end to end software process, yeah. right? That involves involves quantum computing. That's that's awesome, man. Thank yeah. you for those those insights. That's really many cool. of our guests before this have been on the physics side, the, 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 the academic or the, or the, the startup side, uh, trying to invent cold fusion. But, but now we're talking about actually making this use in a workaday way. Yes, that's a really interesting thing about quantum computing field right now. There are so many directions in which people work. There are so many layers of the stack that all have to come together so that eventually we can have those useful quantum computers that make an impact on our lives. Just fascinating. Mm, yeah, I'm super interested in it. Um, I typically approach it from a security point of view professionally because I run a, a cybersecurity company. And Cyprian is uh, a machine learning AI kind of guy, big data. So he likes Grover's. So if I had a favorite algorithm, it would be Shores and his would probably be Grover's. Um, <laughs> 
and and we do talk about the the uh, the algorithm zoo occasionally, but those t- tend to be the big favorites. But but optimization seems to be a huge place um, for people to go and start playing with this and use it for real problems today. Um, so, you know, and, and the fact is that, like I said, that stat before that most most experience shows that if you take a problem, a known problem, and recast it as a quantum problem you can see an 8% gain. And this reminds me a lot of the days of F-sharp. And I'm dating myself quite a bit. I'm, I'm, uh, I've been around for a long time. But F-sharp also had us rethinking the way things worked and the way we approach things to, to kind of have a different perspective. And so I would definitely invite anybody who's got some ideas uh, or has played around with F-sharp or other uh, outside-the-box ways of programming to think, take a look at this. Take a look at the optimization with Q-sharp um, to go down and try to, to put a new, uh, new treads on an old tire, perhaps. I actually, Patrick have a, have a question for, for, for Maria, uh, uh, you know, optimization. Um, you mentioned that the, the optimization part of the stack, right. Runs on, on, on classical computing. Is there currently any support, uh, beyond CPU, uh, for for those types of, of of jobs, or this is just like the the good old CPU that's that's uh, uh, going to run those uh, optimization problems. Actually, the solvers. Yeah, uh, I'll admit I'm not familiar with what's happening under the hood in those solvers. I know it's classical compute rather than quantum, but mm-hmm. the specific okay. flavor of classical compute, I just don't know. Yeah, it's quantum simulation basically what we what we had for quite a long time before real quantum systems started to appear i think the the solvers though patrick are actually running on on classical they're they're not simulated they're they're actually running on classical computing oh okay yeah yeah interesting um so there's tools out there that do microsoft seems to be in a very unique position because um, while Microsoft did start developing their own way of, of their own modality for building quantum computers, and that's still very much alive based on my understanding, Microsoft's kind of positioned themselves in a unique way to be the arbiter of programming all quantum platforms, or at least many quantum platforms. Um, and so Microsoft's been great at that. They you know, built the .NET framework and weren't shy about letting other programming languages in. We saw the same thing in Azure where they allowed Linux to be a thriving operating system, even though it wasn't Microsoft Windows. Um, I expect more of the same there, but is there, are there areas where Microsoft is really going to push? I, I saw that you guys had a, a, a CMOS for, for quantum computers. I thought it was Microsoft that announced that recently. Um, it, is it right that to, to assume that Microsoft's going to be everywhere I want to be as far as the middleware, even if I want to use a different platform? Uh, that's certainly something we are aspiring to, but I cannot really talk to specifics. Okay. But yeah, that's kind of uh, our vision. We want to enable people to use any kind of front end they want yeah. for any quantum programming language and run it on any back end they want. And it's my understanding that when I when I do so when I set up Q Sharp and I set up my environment, I take I get to choose from different platforms. You mentioned some of the ones that are coming online as well as the ones that are already available, like IonQ versus Rigetti. And there's a 
there's a setting that tells the system what is supported by that platform. In other words, you know, whether it supports certain levels of operation. And so in that way, it gives you the, the custom, custom ability to, to plug into many platforms. Um, yes, that's a very accurate description. Okay. We have different platforms that uh, support or don't support specific features. For example, one of them is being able to do measurements in the middle of the program and then make some decisions based on that. So that kind of defines whether you can run a specific problem on a specific uh, device or not. Is there a, um, a, a rubric or a guide or a wizard or something that would help someone choose their platform? Because right now there's not that many choices, but as you said, there are a lot more coming. Is there plans to have resources to help people make the decision on what the best backend is for what they're trying to accomplish? Uh, I think eventually we will do something like this, yes. Right now we have the documentation where you can go and read up on the uh, specific characteristics of the devices uh, that are there, such as gate fidelities, numbers of qubits available, that kind of thing. The limitations okay. of programs you can run on them. But I imagine that as we if as we do more and more access to different backends, we are going to have this information somehow possibly automated. Yeah, where it basically looks at your code and advises you which platforms are best suited to it. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced we'll get there, Patrick. I am too. I'm excited about that. Now you're, about. now you're talking about analyzing quantum code, <laughs> deciding. <laughs> um, actually, um, uh, kind of uh, one of the things you, you, you said, Maria, uh, remained kind of in like the back of my head, and I would like to kind of bring it forward a little bit and maybe discuss around it. Uh, when you described uh, kind of the process on the, the simulation, the estimation, and then the, the, the running, you mentioned one interesting thing. Well, a lot of interesting things, but one of those kind of stood up for me. You said the quantum portion of the program, because we talk to a lot of people and they seem to be like they um, have this image of uh, quantum programming is going to be like uh, writing uh uh, quantum uh, kind of algorithms and programs kind of like from start to finish. And I believe the reality will be quite different. There will be like a, a back and forth between classical and quantum, classical and quantum, right? And I think the, the excellent uh, example is, is right, uh, uh, Shor's algorithm, uh, which is really Patrick's uh, uh, <laughs> uh, favorite, right? Because it actually doesn't solve factorization, right? It solves a specific sub-problem that is involved in the factorization. So I would like to hear your thoughts about uh, kind of uh, the, let's say, the intermingling of, of, of classical code and quantum code, because I, I think this is at least at the beginning, right? This is how the world will look. Or is quantum, is, in other words, is quantum going to be an Azure function that I can call that uh -huh. goes and does that goes and does its quantum business so that I can then break the the code in a classical way. I think that's that's kind of the way I think of it, but maybe we're we've already got that and I just don't know about it. Yes, that's exactly how things are going to look eventually. Quantum algorithms are most of them hybrid. 
if you look at something super simple, like Deutsch-Jaws algorithm, that one is indeed strictly quantum. You don't do any fancy pre-processing or post-processing. But if you look, for example, at Simon's algorithm, uh, the quantum algorithm, the quantum portion of it, needs to run multiple times, and each run gives uh, back a classical string. And then there has to be classical post-processing that takes those strings and solves a, a system of linear equations that are defined by them. doesn't really make sense to do it on a quantum device. A lot easier to do it classically. And then if you think about even more complicated uh, algorithms, more complicated problems, things like quantum chemistry, the inputs to the quantum portion of the algorithm are descriptions of the molecules in some very specific format. It's not the kind of data that you're going to input just off the top of your head. Here are the numbers I'm going to input into this system. Instead, you're going to use some kind of classical library that does uh, molecular descriptions, like um, NWCAM, one of the tools we have interfaces with. And then this library is going to provide you the numbers that have to be the input to the quantum portion of the algorithm. And then you're also going to use some tools to process the results. Uh, because the result is going to be something like uh, the energy of the ground state of the molecular. And it's not going to be useful to you directly as, in, as the user. Instead, it's going to inform some of the decisions you make in the larger program. For example, mm -hmm. if you're looking for a catalyst to speed up some reaction, you're going to try different uh, candidates, and then you get the, the energy estimates for all of these candidates and pick the ones that looks like it's promising. Right. But this is not the kind of thing you're going to do manually. It's the kind of thing for which you write a classical program for that's going to be trying those candidates and feeding their information into the quantum portion and looking at the results to figure out whether this candidate is viable or not. So I, I that that begs the question of whether Microsoft is a, is already working on a way to read data into a quantum program. Because that seems to be the big, uh, a big stumbling block. There's plenty, there's, there's no dearth of stumbling blocks. But one of them, as Cyprian's pointed out over the years, is you can't just read a file in quantum and have that, you know, set up your, your system. Um, I, I, is, is that something on the roadmap for Q Sharp as a way for us to have a way to, I don't know, I guess programmatically set up, do our initial configuration settings? from like C-sharp, mm -hmm. or is that something that is is going to be left to so, um, some greater discoveries in science before we can get so there? I don't think Q-sharp is going to be reading files as such, because uh, as you pointed out, Q-sharp wants to run on the quantum device, and you're not going to read files on a quantum device. So right now we're looking at the classical program doing all these kinds of things like reading the data from files or getting input from users or browsing internet for the right information. And then it passes the parameters to Q-sharp as either 
program parameters or job parameters if it's submitting uh, on Azure Quantum. Uh, so if there are some massive ad advances in things like QRAM that will allow us to store information physically uh, on some kind of specialized quantum device, I can imagine the language evolving to uh, address that and support that, but uh, probably not in the next release. I, I mean, I think the one of the places that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Cyprian, that this would be most useful is in Grover. If I could load in the Oracle Oracle function or ver or various Oracle functions to then run Grovers without having to do an initial setup each time, each and every time. Yeah, I think the one of the kind of red hot areas and one of the big problems as of today is essentially uh, what you generally call the embedding problem right how do you take how do you take the description of the problem from the classical world and you kind of embed it into a compatible description right uh for the quantum world and uh, uh please maria correct me if i'm wrong but currently we're mostly limited at sending various parameters right so we're quite far from being able to uh, let's say send elaborate data structures into into the world of of of, of quantum programming. Uh, uh, I would even say that that's probably kind of half science, half art, and it will stay that way on how to best describe a problem in terms of of of, of quantum and in a way that you could actually get quantum advantage, right? Yes, exactly. That's one of the challenges in picking the problems that are best to be tackled by quantum computing. You can do powerful compute, but you need to do it based on a small number of parameters, because otherwise just processing a lot of parameters is going to take a lot of power out of your computation. And you need to get results that are very small because that's just how you read out information from the quantum system. So the data input and the results read out are uh, two big limitations. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point about the, the outputs, right? Uh, it's okay, it's it's difficult with the inputs, but <laughs> with the outputs, it, it's, it's even worse, so to speak, quote unquote, right? Because of the of the limitations in terms of, of reading and interpreting states and, and, and things like things like that. Yes, absolutely. Um, the analogy I heard somebody use that I really like is that quantum computing, getting the results out, is like trying to drink an ocean through a straw. Gives you a headache. <laughs> that's, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah. There's an ocean of information in your system, but once it gets to getting it out, you have this straw. Yeah. Choose wisely. Yeah. Or go, being at a buffet with chopsticks. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're running, <clears throat> running near the end of our time, but we still got a little bit more time. And, and so um, one of the questions I had is, uh, you know, Scott Hanselman had Azure Fridays, which was a, a great little video podcast or vodcast. Um, the, the Katas are a great source. Where would you point people as far as content from Microsoft on, you know, keeping up with this stuff or getting, I know diving into the katas, 
Uh, should we expect sessions at events like Microsoft Build, which is online this year? Um, <clears throat> wh where would you send us for more of the uh, audio and video content produced by Microsoft on this topic? Like, for example, to find out what's new in, in a new release of Q-Sharp that comes up. Uh, there are different sources for when you're looking for different kinds of information. So if you're just looking to see kind of uh, what the program is about, then our main website, uh, azure.com slash quantum, is going to be the best entry point. If you're looking for news on kind of business side of things, like new uh, big capabilities, new partners joining the ecosystem, uh, news such as uh, Azure Quantum Credits program that allows you to run programs on uh, hardware for free. This kind of things, um, the uh, cloud blogs is best. The Microsoft Quantum cloud blog. Okay. If you're looking for news specifically on the capabilities in the latest Q-Sharp release, then the Quantum Development Kit release notes are the best, which is a page in um, uh, our documentation, docs.microsoft.com slash quantum. Excellent. Well, we've tried to provide some of those links uh, in the episode uh, notes <clears throat> so people can find them easily. Um, anything else you'd like to talk about? I mentioned that you you've ha wrote a book. Uh, about Q-Sharp. Did you want to mention that? Yes, of course. I, I'm <laughs> actually super excited. I've been working on it for the past year. It's an O'Reilly book, uh, Q-Sharp Pocket Guide. It's going to be extremely pretty. It has a quetzal on the cover. Nice. And I'm actually putting the final edits in right now. So another two months and you'll be able to pick it up in paper. Excellent. Oh, we'll have to definitely do that. We'll add that to both of our libraries. Um, so uh, there is one thing that I, I'm, I'm really dying to ask Maria before we close. So did I understand correctly that you basically started uh, in classical computing and then at some point you kind of moved towards to, 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 to quantum? Is, is that correct? Yes. I... So Trained back in Ukraine as a classical software engineer, worked in banking software industries there for something like five years. Then I moved to U.S. to join Microsoft and worked in Asia infrastructure teams. And only then, about five years ago, I moved to Microsoft Quantum and discovered quantum computing for myself at that point. So that's, that's kind of like the... The, 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 the perfect person to, to answer my, my question, because one of the things that I really like to kind of ask and also encourage people to share is like, what is your advice for someone who's currently in classical computing and for a variety of reasons would like to take the plunge, right? Take the step into into quantum. As you mentioned, a lot of people are frightened by the fact that, oh my God, I don't have a PhD in physics, so there's no place for me in, 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 in quantum, right? Which is as far from, from, from reality as possible. So like in, in, a, in a few, uh, uh, in a short time, like what would you kind of uh, 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 advise to someone who thinks like, okay, I'd really like now, I, I'm biased already like uh, for a long time in, in classical, 
So now I want to take the, the move to make the move to quantum. What would be your kind of advice or short list of advice <laughs> to, to such a person? Uh, so my advice would be to start learning about the area and to figure out what are your strengths and what are the uh, area in quantum computing that these strengths can best contribute to. A lot of people who work on quantum computing don't have a PhD in physics and don't need it. In our team, for example, we have folks working on the Q-sharp compiler, which is a purely classical thing working on compilers for programming languages, with a little bit of quantum sprinkled on top of it because you need to get some idea of what a qubit is and why we don't have a data type to describe qubit state in Q-sharp. We have folks who work on Azure Quantum, which is extremely similar to working on other cloud services. We have myself who uh, figured out that she's uh, good at teaching and coming up with programming problems on the topic of quantum computing. So figuring out what is your superpower and figuring out how to apply it in the world of quantum computing, because chances are it's possible to do it. That's great. And I think that's really encouraging. <laughs> Very much so. That's my job, to be encouraging. <laughs> I'll keep it up, please. <clears throat> I think any... you're, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, are there any events uh, in the you know fall that you might be uh, attending in real life, or is everything still virtual? As things are actually getting to be in person, which I'm super excited about. It's been so long. Likewise. You know exactly how long it, it's been. I just, earlier this week, I visited uh, Purdue University for a Quantum Science Center summer school gave a talk there. It was really unusual to actually see the people I'm talking to. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Uh, well, hackathons are online so far, but I'm really hoping that in fall or maybe even in summer we'll have some in-person ones. And then in fall there is going to be IEEE Quantum Week, a big conference for quantum computing folks in all areas of it. And Where's I'm that one being held, be you know? Uh, Broomfield, Colorado. Oh. Uh, so sometime in the next year, Cyprian and I are hoping to go to a uh, in-person quantum conference and record an episode. So maybe we'll get a panel, and, and if you're you're available, we'll 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 be able to meet in person. Um, I think we're out of time now. Thank you very much for all the insight. We're hoping to um, to do a lot of great things with Q Sharp and the Microsoft platform, uh, and we'll be talking about it quite a bit in the future. Of course, it was my pleasure. Thank Thanks. you. It was a real pleasure as well. Bye, everybody. Bye. Have a great day. You too.